Bibles together and turn to the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I'm reading from verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Over the last few uh, Sunday mornings, we've been thinking about what it means to be uh, followers of Jesus. Um, The ultimate adventure. You didn't realize you were on an adventure, did you, in following Jesus? Uh, you thought that it was quite mundane and uh, maybe even a little bit dull. But according to the gospel, following Jesus is one of the most exciting adventures that we could embark on. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the calling of the first disciples, uh, looking at Mark chapter 1, and we were thinking about the call to uh, relationship, uh, the call to discipleship, and the call to abandonship. And then uh, last week we were we were, pre- we were we were carrying on thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, and we were in Philippians chapter three, and uh, we were thinking as we press on towards our destination, we were remembering evaluation, and that was about facing your faults. We were remembering elimination, and that was about forgetting the former. We were remembering concentration, and that was about focusing on the future, and we were remembering determination, and that was about fighting to the finish. And uh, this morning we're carrying on thinking what it means uh, to follow Jesus, looking at this passage in Mark chapter 8, following Christ, taking up your cross. A minister was being constantly criticised by a member of his congregation. I know you'll find that very hard to imagine. After six months of this, this poor man could stand it no longer. He went out on a nice hot summer's afternoon for a drive in the countryside. He wound down his windows and after about half an hour of driving began to feel slightly better. Driving down a narrow country lane, however, he was horrified to see a car careering towards him out of control. As he approached it, he realised with even greater horror 
that the person driving was the very person who had been harassing him. As they passed within an inch of each other, the man shouted out the word, Pig! Months of built-up tension got the better of the minister, and he shouted back, Cow! Then he drove round the corner and hit a pig. Have you ever been in that situation where you were absolutely convinced that you were right about something only to discover that you were in fact wrong? Ever happened to you? No. Obviously for some of us, never. But for others of us, it is a, it is a, a regular occurrence. Well, as we're thinking about this passage, just bear that in mind because the first thing that I want to say to you this morning about following Jesus is that following Jesus is not what we think it is. Following Jesus is not what we think it is. And the emphasis is on what we think it is. Following Jesus is not what we think it is. We read that Jesus says he then began to teach them about the Son of Man. He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. I wonder why Jesus chose that particular moment to share with his disciples about his destiny, his suffering. It's important whenever we look at scripture that we do so in context. And it's always worth when you're looking at a particular passage just to have a little eye on what's gone before. And uh, of course many of you will know in Mark chapter 8 what goes before that is, is Peter's great confession of faith. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked and Peter answered, you are the Christ. A high moment in Peter's life of faith. For once, he got it absolutely right. He was spot on. He was correct in his thinking. What a wonderful moment. That's the context when Jesus chooses to share with Peter and the rest of the disciples about what actually it means for him to be the Christ. And for Peter and the rest of the disciples, and dare I suggest for you and I, following Jesus is not what we think it is. Following Jesus is not what we think it is. You see, Jesus started to use words like suffer, about like words like rejected, and words like killed. You see, Peter, and probably the rest of the disciples, thought they knew with quite a lot of certainty what the Messiah was going to be like when he came. And they didn't identify the Messiah with words like suffering, rejection, and being killed. That wasn't their idea of what the Messiah was going to look like or what the Messiah was going to do. Again, remember the context into which Jesus is speaking. Uh, the Jewish the Jews, Israel is being occupied by uh, Romans. And uh, really, what the Israelites were wanting was a Messiah like King David, 
who would come and be a conqueror and basically come and kick the Romans out of Israel and so they could reclaim their land. That's, that was their idea of what a Messiah would do. And so when Jesus started talking about suffering and rejection and being killed, this didn't fit into their way of thinking. This isn't what they they signed up for. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Jesus called the disciples to be fishers of men? And you can imagine, I think I'm just imagining Peter thinking, you know, well, I'm a fisherman, uh, fishers of men, I can do that. That's what I've, that's what I've responded to. Uh, you didn't mention anything about this suffering and rejection and being killed when you called me from my fishing boat and I left my fishing boat and came and followed you. Didn't mention that. So, Following Jesus is not what we think it is. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't know about you, but have you ever had that experience when somebody takes you to one side? Happens to me most Sunday mornings, actually, after I've, I've preached, there's normally somebody wanted to take me aside to uh, to correct me on my theology and thinking, and that is fine, please uh, continue to do that. But uh, if you laugh at the idea of somebody taking me aside to correct my thinking, I would suggest that you laugh even more at the idea of Peter taking Jesus aside to correct Jesus in his thinking it's actually quite humorous. It's actually quite amusing. Because you see, Peter, he's just had this marvellous experience of for once getting it right. Maybe it's gone to his head. I don't know. Or maybe he was so convinced of what he believed that he thought he needed to correct Jesus and that Jesus was actually wrong in what he was saying about what was going to happen to him. I wonder how certain we are in what we believe. We sometimes sing that song, don't we? Uh, goes something like, you know, I have a strong and certain faith. And uh, we like people to have strong and certain faiths. Uh, we big them up, don't we? Uh, we like people who know what they believe. And uh, are absolutely certain and convinced. That's what we think about as being people with a strong faith. I'm reading this book at the moment. Uh, it's called The Sin of Certainty. I like the title, some of you won't, but it's called The Sin of Certainty. It's by a, a guy called Peter Enns. And he says this. He says, aligning faith in God and certainty about what we believe and needing to be right in order to maintain a healthy faith. These do not make for a healthy faith in God. In a nutshell, that is the problem. And what I mean by the sin of certainty is a sin because this pattern of thinking sells God short by keeping the creator captive to what we are able to comprehend. The problem is trusting our beliefs rather than trusting God. I quite like this writer. I've never come across him before. Uh, I came across him by accident. And uh, you might hear one or two more quotes from him. Because what he's saying, basically is the sin of certainty, is about being so certain in what we believe, that we put our faith in what we believe at the expense of trusting God. And this was what Peter was actually doing. He was so certain that his idea and picture, which was he wasn't alone in this, he was surrounded by other people that thought exactly the same, 
And so when Peter takes Jesus aside, there was probably a queue of other people who would have also quite willingly taken Jesus aside and corrected him. Uh, Peter ends, goes on to say, the preoccupation with holding on to correct thinking with tightly closed fist is not a sign of strong faith. It hinders the life of faith because we are simply acting on a deep, unnamed human fear of losing the sense of familiarity and predictability that our thoughts about God give us. So when we are confronted with the possibility of being wrong, that kind of faith becomes all about finding ways to hold on with everything we've got to be right. We are not actually trusting God at that moment. We are trusting ourselves and disguising it as a trust in God. Imagine that. That we could actually disguise our trust in God for trusting ourselves. Just hang on to that thought. Following Jesus, you see, is not what we think it is. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? Get behind me, Satan. This is, this is Peter's right hand man. This is Peter who's just been the first person to make this confession that Jesus is the Christ. How can somebody one minute be getting it so right and the next minute getting it so wrong that Jesus is saying to him, get behind me Satan. You wonder at this point whether there's another queue of people who wanted to correct Jesus once again that Peter actually wasn't Satan. Tom Wright, somebody we're more familiar with. So important is the message that opposition to the plan, wherever it comes from, must be seen as satanic from the accuser. Even Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, is capable of thinking like a mere mortal, not looking at the things from God's point of view. This is the challenge to all of us as a church in every generation struggles, not only to think, but to live from God's point of view in a world where such things is madness. What a challenge it is to think from God's point of view rather than our own point of view about God. Following Jesus, I would suggest, is not what we think it is and it certainly wasn't what Peter thought it was. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God but the things of men. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. We might only, we might say, Peter might have said, well, I'm only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. Again, Peter Ennis uh, says this, he says, we all bring our broken and limited selves into how we think of God. We're human. In other words, we can't help but think of God in broken and limited ways as creatures limited by time and space. In our opening reading that Robert brought from Isaiah, uh, that idea had already been planted in our minds when he talked about God's ways being higher than our ways, God's thoughts being higher than our thoughts. That idea that actually to suggest that us as mere mortals could fully understand uh, the God who created the universe and his son who came, that we would fully understand and comprehend and may even know better is actually laughable. But that's the mistake and the, 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 the trap that we often fall into. Following Jesus is not what we think it is. 
it isn't what we think it is. In fact, the second thing I'd like to say is that actually, and you might not like this, following Jesus is worse than we think it is. Following Jesus is actually worse than we think it is. Not what we think it is, it's worse. You see, Jesus says, and he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, if anyone, that's a funny thing, isn't it? If, if anyone would come after me, if, is there an if to this following Jesus lark? If anyone would come after me. Well, some did, but only a few. And some came after him and then decided not to because of the sort of things that Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus is worse than we think it is. Following Jesus is actually worse than we think it is. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Um, Three actions. Have you noticed following Jesus, it's not about believing certain things. It's about actually doing certain things. Jesus talks firstly about denying yourself. Let's face it, that's not going to be a popular message in today's culture, is it? Denying yourself. You know, we live in the, in the world of the selfie, don't we? And uh, I'm just as susceptible as, as you are to the odd selfie. And uh, uh, the, the thing about taking a selfie, the thing about taking a selfie is that it places you right in the centre of the picture, doesn't it? And let's face it, that's where we like to be, don't we? In the centre of our own universe. Uh, we believe in ourselves, don't we? We might, we might not come across like that, but basically we believe in ourselves. We believe that we're right. We believe that we know the truth. And uh, although we don't like to admit it, uh, many of us are actually quite comfortable with our own selves. And Jesus says, you've got to die to yourself. Deny yourself. Secondly, the second action he says is, is you've got to take up your cross. Now, Whilst you and I understand what Jesus was talking about, we don't tend to think like that, do we? We talk about people having a cross to bear, don't we, normally when they... We tend to kind of dampen down what that really means. People talk about having a cross to bear, you know, and it might be some terrible thing that they've had to bear in their lives. Um, But when Jesus says, deny yourself and take up... Your cross, all the people listening would have known exactly what he meant. Because it would have been a familiar sight to them, people taking up the cross. Because it was a brutal, horrible way to die. It was an execution. And so when Jesus says, deny yourselves, take up your cross, uh, this was never going to be a popular message. This wasn't what the disciples thought they were signing up for. This was worse. And then Jesus says, follow me. Three actions, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. As I said, following Jesus is is worse than we think it is. Uh, Because none of us want to take up a cross. 
Um, and of course, for the disciples, um, it virtually actually meant that they would follow Jesus in dying because of their faith. For us, it probably doesn't in all reality. For some people in this world, it does. And let's not forget that. You know, let's not forget that Christians are still being persecuted. Let's not forget how privileged we are because there was a day, a little bit of church history for you, there was a day when Baptists were persecuted. Did you know that? That uh, the Baptists were persecuted by the state church. Do you know why they were persecuted by the state church? Because they thought differently. Because they had different ideas about God. Bit of church history for you. Uh, once upon a time, there was only one church. Uh, you didn't have the, 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 the choice that you have now. You can go to all sorts of churches, all sorts of denominations. At one side, time, there was only one church. And uh, you didn't have the, 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 the Bible to read for yourself because it wasn't in a language that you could understand. So basically, the person stood in the pulpit and told you what to, what to believe. And uh, that was probably great for the person in the pulpit because uh, he just told you what to, to, to believe and you believed it. Of course, the problem came when people started to get hold of the Bible for themselves in a language that they could understand because then they could actually take the pastor or the preacher or the priest to one side and say, I'm not sure I actually agree with your interpretation of what you're saying. And when that happened, what tended to do is people went off and formed another church, another denomination. And of course, that was going smoothly until somebody else came along and thought, I don't agree with what you're saying, so I'll go off. And, and of course, the result is now that we have hundreds, probably thousands of different denominations, all formed because people were so certain that they were right, which of course meant everybody else who didn't really agree with them was wrong, that they had to go off and form their own church that you could join as long as you would believe and adhere to the beliefs that they had. And that's the history of our church. That's where we've come from as Baptists. Uh, we were dissenters to the state church. And that's how the story goes. And we see it here in the story with Peter and Jesus. Following Jesus was worse than Peter thought. Because Peter had no idea that he was going to have to deny himself, deny what he thought and what he understood about what the Messiah was in order to follow Jesus. So following Jesus is not what we thought it was. It's worse. Jesus, Fantas Chan says, Jesus didn't say that if you wanted to follow him, you could do it in a lukewarm manner. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Goes on to say, the world says, love yourself. Grab all you can. Follow your heart. Jesus says, deny yourself. Grab your cross and follow me. So, everyone is following someone or something. Who are you following? Who are you following? Who are you following? We've all played the game, haven't we? Follow the leader. You're the pastor, so I guess you got the job. Uh, can I say, please don't follow me. Please don't follow me because I'm only human. And uh, sometimes I might get it wrong. We follow Jesus. Um, you are at liberty, and I would encourage you when you think I'm wrong to take me to one side. And to have a word with me. I would actually encourage that. And welcome it. I know it's hard being a new pastor in an old church. That's why the board and I have whipped up a few rules and guidelines for you to follow. If you wish not to offend anybody. 
um, we want everybody to follow and believe the same thing. One of the great things about Lund Baptist Church is we've got such a wide spectrum of people who don't actually all believe exactly the same thing. And somehow we manage most of the time to, to get on and not fall out, which is uh, pretty uh, amazing, really. And uh, I think encouraging and healthy, even. Follow the leader. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's the way Luke uh, describes the same passage. The idea, uh, John Piper says, the cross is not a mere event in history. It's a way of life. Take up your cross daily, Jesus says. So daily, we have to deny ourselves. Daily, we're called to take up our crosses, and daily, we are called to follow Jesus. Following Jesus may appear to be worse than we think it is. So following Jesus is not as, but finally I'd say that following Jesus is actually not as bad as we thought it was. That's good news, isn't it? It's not what we thought it was. It's worse than we think it is, but actually, the truth is, it's not as bad as we thought it was. Why? Because Jesus says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. That makes sense, doesn't it? Forever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever wants to lose his life for me and the gospel will save it. Lose and losers. Again, it's, it's kind of... Not probably what Peter and the rest of the disciples wanted to hear. The fact that we were following, to follow Jesus, we had to be a loser. Are you a loser? Are you prepared to deny yourself? Are you prepared uh, to even consider the terrible thought that you might be wrong? And your ideas of God might not be as complete and correct as you thought they were. Well, with Jesus, you see, what looks like losing actually turns out to be winning. What looks like losing actually turns out to be winning. What looks like defeat actually turns out to be victory. Because whilst the disciples and Jesus followers would have done anything they could to stop Jesus going to the cross. What they didn't realise, in, in doing that, they were putting themselves in opposition to what God was wanting to do. And the most frightening thing, I think, in Scripture is the idea, well, not just the idea, the thing that happened is that those who were closest to Jesus could actually put themselves in opposition to what Jesus was doing. And if Peter and other disciples could do it then, let's not make the mistake of thinking that we couldn't do it now. Let's not make the mistake of thinking that we are so sophisticated, that we have so much knowledge, that we are so certain and sure in our faith, that we could never stand in opposition to what God is trying to do in Jesus Christ today in 2017. Because believe you me, it's very easy to do. Jesus, right-hand man, Peter found himself in opposition to what Jesus was doing because it didn't fit in with his ideas, his thinking and thoughts about what God was like, about what the Messiah was like. And so he puts himself in opposition. 
And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And we are only human. And, you know, let's be honest and say most of the time we will have in mind the things of men, the thing that pleases us. We don't like the idea of denying ourselves. We certainly don't like the idea of having to take up a cross. And following Jesus, well, it's okay as long as it doesn't interfere too much with our lives. And it would seem to me that the whole point of what Jesus is saying is that it actually does interfere completely with your lives because what Jesus is asking for is complete surrender. He's asking people to put their complete trust, not in what they believe, but in him. Even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Because it didn't make any sense to to Peter and the disciples, this idea of Jesus going to the cross made no sense whatsoever. It seemed like absolute madness. And yet Jesus says, trust. And that idea of putting our trust in God is the big theme in the Bible. The big theme in the Bible is trusting in God. Not completely understanding God, not believing all sorts of uh, doctrines and, 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 and beliefs about God. It's this idea of trusting in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, the book of Proverbs says, and lean not on your own understanding. We tend to turn that round and round, don't we? We lean heavily on our own understanding in order to trust in God. And God asks us to put our trust in him when often life doesn't make sense. This Friday I'm going to be conducting a very difficult funeral for this young lad, Jack Cropper, who has taken his own life. Um, I'm guessing that that family... Uh, will be in absolute chaos. That life won't be making sense to them. And the idea of asking them to put their trust in God when they're going through this horrendous thing will seem probably crazy. And yet that's what God calls us to do when life doesn't make sense, when life is messy, when life doesn't go as we hoped it would, as we planned it would. He says, trust in me. Jesus says it to disciples uh, in John's gospel, doesn't he, when he's again speaking about his death. Trust in God and also trust in me, for there are many rooms in my father's house and so on. Trust in God. That's the good news. That's why, actually, uh, Jesus goes on to say, what good is it, man, for gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is saying, even if you have the whole world, it ain't anything compared to what you'll have in God. So, following Jesus is not as bad as we thought it was. In fact, following Jesus is what we are called to do. Following Jesus is what we are called to do. So let's attempt to follow Jesus. Let's attempt to trust in God and not in our own understanding. Let's attempt to put our trust in God whatever happens. And let's attempt to follow Jesus And if that means denying ourselves, if that means admitting that we get it wrong, if that means admitting that we haven't got it all worked out and we haven't got it all together, then that would seem to me to be okay, as long as we continue to trust in God.